a couple of changes on it. This is our latest literature dealing with the murder devices at the drugstores, CVS, Walgreens, and down down the line, dealing with the morning after pill and the other devices, chemical devices they use to murder the preborn. Um, so those are out on the table if you want to make yourself, um, if you'd like to avail yourself to those things. I heard that you guys prayed here last week for an hour regarding Planned Parenthood starting to murder the preborn here in Wisconsin again. And I want to thank all of you and, and I want to thank Ernie for the prayer time that you had and the worship that you had on, because it's a grievous thing. And I plan on preaching about this this morning. I'm going to take a break from Second Chronicles and preach about what's happened here in Wisconsin. Why don't we stand for the reading of God's word? Our text today is 2 Kings 24, verses 1 through 4, and that's what we're going to read. 2 Kings chapter 24, verses 1 through 4. The scripture reads and says here, In his days Nebuchadnezzar, king of Babylon, came up, and Jehoiakim became his vassal for three years. Then he turned and rebelled against him. Jehoiakim, of course, was the king of Judah at that time. And the Lord sent against him raiding bands of Chaldeans, bands of Syrians, bands of Moabites, and bands of the people of Ammon. He sent them against Judah to destroy it, according to the word of the Lord, which he had spoken by his servants, the prophets. Surely at the commandment of the Lord this came upon Judah to remove them from his sight because of the sins of Manasseh according to all that he had done, and also because of the innocent blood that he had shed. For he had filled Jerusalem with innocent blood, which the Lord would not pardon. May God bless the reading of his word. The title of my sermon this morning is, The Doom of America and the Peace of God. Let's pray. Lord, we give thanks and praise to you for this time that we do have in your word and to address these important matters taking place in our culture, in our nation, and in our state. And Lord, we just ask and pray that you help me to declare that which you've given me to proclaim. And we ask that your Holy Spirit would work in the hearts and minds of all the hearers, burning a fire within them, O oh God, of faithfulness to you. Lord, we thank you that we know you. We thank you that we're alive in these days, and may we be faithful and true to you in the midst of the days you have us here. And we ask these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Could be seated. In our text, we see the Lord is judging Judah, pronouncing his doom upon her. And the one sin he mentions by name, besides all the other evil King Manasseh did, the one sin he mentions by name was the shedding of innocent blood. And America has shed innocent blood. And we have filled the nation with innocent blood just as Manasseh filled Jerusalem with innocent blood. And Wisconsin is filled with innocent blood. Last week, Planned Parenthood announced that they would begin to murder the preborn. After a 15 week hiatus of all death camps in our state being shut down, 
they decided and announced, we're going to kill the preborn once again, butcher them. This was heralded by the media. Uh, they acted as their spokesmen, as their media to get word out, their solicitors. And every magistrate in the state, they all gave Planned Parenthood a pass. None, none have done their duty. None have protected the preborn. None have upheld God's law. None have upheld Wisconsin law, which outlaws their murder. None have interposed, and none have spoken out. When I learned of this, I was angered and grieved. And we put out a press release from missionaries to the preborn. Here's what it stated. Missionaries to the Preborn has gathered with others outside Planned Parenthood's death camp, located at 435 South Water Street in Milwaukee, this morning, September 18th, to stand with the Preborn and call upon Wisconsin government officials to uphold Wisconsin law and arrest the abortionist at Planned Parenthood. The 1849 law, Wisconsin Statute 94004, is the law in Wisconsin. If Planned Parenthood murders a preborn child, they have violated Wisconsin law, and the abortionist should immediately be arrested by the Milwaukee sheriff or Milwaukee police. Planned Parenthood officials should be arrested for being a party to the murder. Diane Schlipper is a measly county judge. She possesses no authority to trample Wisconsin law. And this is important to understand. Our law, 94004, is still in force here in our state. Schlipper didn't even make a final order. And there's even been one pro-abortion attorney who was in the news who cautioned medical facilities in murdering the preborn. even though at the same time she applauded Planned Parenthood for their bravery in murdering the preborn. The press release goes on and says, if the 1849 law against abortion holds no weight, then why has Wisconsin Attorney General Josh Call filed a suit to attack it and is trying to get it overturned in the courts? Good question, right? Planned Parenthood officials are lying when they say Schlipper has ruled that 94004 holds no weight and is not law. She has only ruled that Josh Call's lawsuit can move forward. She made some statements, and she's made no final order. Both Milwaukee Sheriff Danita Ball and Police Chief Jeffrey Norman have a sworn duty to uphold Wisconsin law, as do all their officers. Their departments have a duty to arrest the abortionist and the Planned Parenthood officials that are party to the murder. Wisconsin's anti-abortion statute, 94004, is part of Wisconsin's homicide statutes. An abortionist can be imprisoned for six years. It's a Class H felony for murdering a preborn child. 94004 states that, quote, an unborn child means a human being from the time of conception, unquote. The press release ends with these words. Wisconsin has innocent blood on its hands for the slaughter of the preborn in our state from 1973 to 2022. 
More murder of these little ones will add to the just judgment of God upon the heads of Wisconsinites. The duty of the government officials is to uphold Wisconsin law and defend the innocent from murder. The duty of the people is to mandate of their government officials. And we contacted both the sheriff and the police chief, and both refused to uphold 940.04. They told the people who were there Monday when they began to butcher the preborn that we're, the police told the people, we're not here to arrest the abortionist. We're here to arrest you if you cause trouble. One police officer confided with the people outside the death camp that all of the officers sent to Planned Parenthood were told that if they tried to uphold 940.04, they would be done having a job with the department. One child that we know of was spared a brutal death. When my son Matthew called 911 to report the murders, the woman told him, we will not be responding to that. He continued to plead for the lives of these little ones and make the proper complaint to authorities. She hung up in his face. And they've been murdering babies every day since then. And the magistrates have allowed it. Regarding our text again, understand Manasseh had died three generations earlier. He was the great-grandfather of King Jehoiakim, who is the present king of Judah here in our text, 2 Kings 24. Three generations later, and the Lord, who is long-suffering and patient towards man, had not brought his judgment upon her. But neither did he forget the innocent blood. And now his judgment is brought. His justice is imposed. Now understand the God-haters like to mock and mock his judgment. They mock him and his judgment. I have lived 63 years now and have watched America's decline and descent into decadence, lawlessness, and debauchery. And when big steps in those directions are taken, wicked men again and again have mocked and said, quote, Where is his judgment? We have spit in his face, we've trampled his law, and yet the sun has come up the next day and all is well. Unquote. I remember these very things being said after the Lawrence ruling, wherein the Supreme Court trampled all laws against, the sod- against sodomy. And I remember it after the Obergefell ruling, which attacked the very created order of God and said two men or two women can marry, quote-unquote, legally. Wicked men presume upon the Lord's mercy and long-suffering. But when he brings his judgment, it is swift, and it is terrible. And when things are so decadent in a nation and evil runs rampant like it does in ours, his judgment is actually a mercy. It's actually a goodness to man. Wisconsin already had so much innocent blood to account for from 1973 to 2022, and now they've decided to add upon it. In the past, people would hide behind the Supreme Court, although they all stand, we all stand guilty. Blood's on all of our hands in our land. Now even less do they have something to hide behind. 
because their representative government is going to murder the preborn. Realize the Bible is clear that innocent blood being shed is no small matter. Just study it yourself. I would encourage you to listen to my sermon I preached 10 years ago this month entitled Innocent Blood and America's Lesser Magistrates. You can hear it at sermonaudio.com and it may even be at YouTube now. My son-in-law Nick has put it up there. Psalm 106 says of the Judeans that they shed innocent blood, the blood of their sons and daughters whom they sacrificed to the idols of Canaan, and the lamb was polluted with blood. Thus they were defiled by their own works and played the whore by their own deeds. Therefore the wrath of the Lord was kindled. And God holds all nations accountable for the shedding of innocent blood. In Joel chapter 3, verse 19, the scripture reads, Egypt will become a waste, and Edom will become a desolate wilderness because of the violence done to the sons of Judah in whose land they have shed innocent blood. Understand all nations are accountable to the law of God, and God judges all nations that violate his law. Remember Leviticus chapter 20? Verses 22 and 23, God says to his people as he's throwing out the wicked people and giving them that land, he says, you shall therefore keep all my statutes and all my judgments and perform them that the land where I am bringing you to dwell may not vomit you out. And you shall not walk in the statutes of the nation which I am casting out before you, for they commit all these things, and therefore I abhor them. God was judging the nations that were there in the land that Israel would take. All nations are accountable to the law of God, all of them. And because of all this, America's doom is upon us. If you think otherwise, you're listening to men who say peace, peace, when there is no peace. God has given our nation over. Sodomy reveals that. Turn with me to Romans chapter 1. I want to look at verses 18 through 22. These are two great national sins in our nation, the shedding of innocent blood and the proliferation and filth of Sodom. And I just want to remind you what God says of this matter, again, holding all nations accountable, all men accountable. It says, For the wrath of God is revealed from heaven against all ungodliness and unrighteousness of men, all ungodliness and unrighteousness of men who suppress the truth and unrighteousness, because what may be known of God is manifest in them, for God has shown it to them. For since the creation of the world, you heard what he said there, right? Because what may be known of God is manifest in them, for God has shown it to them. For since the creation of the world, his invisible attributes are clearly seen, being understood by the things that are made, even his eternal power and Godhead, so that they are without excuse. Because although they knew God, they did not glorify him as God, nor were thankful, but became futile. And their thoughts and their foolish hearts were darkened. 
Professing to be wise, they became fools and changed the glory of the incorruptible God into an image made like corruptible man and birds and four-footed animals and creeping things. Therefore, God also gave them up to uncleanness in the lusts of their hearts to dishonor their bodies among themselves, who exchanged the truth of God for the lie and worshiped and served the creature rather than the creator who is blessed forever. Amen. For this reason, God gave them up to vile passions. For even their women exchanged the natural use for what is against nature. Likewise, also the men, leaving the natural use of the woman, burned in their lust for one another, men with men, committing what is shameful and receiving in themselves the penalty of their error, which was due. And even as they did not like to retain God in their knowledge, God gave them over to a debased mind. And that's where America is. Our nation has been given over. His judgment is upon us. His judgment is sure. And it is just. To do those things, he says, God gave them over to a debased mind to do those things which are not fitting, being filled with all unrighteousness, sexual immorality, wickedness, covetousness, maliciousness, full of envy, murder, strife, deceit, evil-mindedness. They are whispers, backbiters, haters of God, violent, proud, boasters, inventors of evil things. Yeah. Just when you think they couldn't invent a more evil thing, this nation invents a new one. Disobedient to parents, undiscerning, untrustworthy, unloving, unforgiving, unmerciful, who knowing the righteous judgment of God, that those who practice such things are deserving of death, not only do the same, but also approve of those who practice them. And much of the church approves these things. Understand Romans 1 is clear that man's love affair with sodomy is a sign that we have been given over. Both individuals and the nation have been given over. The doom of America is sure. The proliferation of sodomy, which is the number one distinctive concerning a culture here in Romans 1, beckons the just judgment of God on a nation and is a sign that the nation has been given over. When I read scripture and when I study the history of men and the governments of men, I have never seen a nation make it back from such filth without the just judgment of God. God brings famine, economic disaster, the unleashing of the tyrants, and other means to judge nations that are in rebellion to him on such a gross level as we demonstrate here in our nation called America. And it was all brought to home and all brought to heart this past week when they began to butcher the preborn here in Wisconsin again. The gravity of it all, the sobering reality of it all, brought back to bear. So what do we do? We remain faithful to Christ. We remain faithful to Christ. We are headed into dark days, darker than the days already are, and you must stand true to Christ, regardless of what comes your way. And the Lord has different things for different ones of us in what may come our way. 
Listen, when evil is in the land and the tyrants are unleashed upon the nation, people will respond with compliance to evil and compromise with evil. They will respond with compliance to evil and they will compromise with evil because they will only be thinking of themselves, only thinking about not letting their ox be gored. They will go along to get along. They will accommodate to the evil, and they will work the system for their own benefit. Just study history. It's the nature of man. But in the midst of all that, we must be faithful to Christ. You must let the peace of God rule in your hearts, as it says in Colossians 3.15, in order to remain faithful and true to the Lord in such times. Now understand, I do not mean by peace the lack of worry or anxiousness as it is defined by the monstrous regiment of whore churchmen in our day, drunk on their pietism and narcissism and myopia and self-centeredness. When I speak of peace, I am speaking of something much deeper than what they peddle. Because that is the paramount thing that they peddle. It's just terrible if you would have worry. And we shouldn't have worry. But they think that worry is found by being indifferent to the evil. We should not be indifferent to the evil. And yet have peace. To those churchmen who are the vast majority in American Christianity... This is the apex of their form of Christianity, not to worry. They'll even do sermon series for three, four, and six weeks. Why? Because of the type of Christianity they pillared, which is a self-centered, narcissistic form of Christianity. And what all matters is whatever goes on inside here, your body. Not what is going on outside it. It's disturbing. If you engage the evil that is in the land, and by engage I mean confront it, the average Christian and churchman will accuse you of worrying, which is the most dreadful thing to them. To avoid worry, they therefore preach indifference to the evil in the land. So you're worry-free, and you maintain peace. And they believe the only reason that you would be engaged in the battle against evil is because you're full of worry. Oh, you shouldn't worry. They view that as the greater sin. Not the evil that you're confronting, the fact that you worry is the greater sin to American Christianity. They believe the only reason you would be engaged in the battle against evil is because you are full of Worry when in reality you are only confronting the evil because you cannot sit in silence while the Lord's law and word is impugned by men and the governments of men. That's why you confront the evil. Because you love him. As it says in Psalm 97 verse 10, you who love the Lord hate evil. Listen to me. The peace of God is not something we possess by being indifferent to the evil. Rather, the peace of God is something that rules in us while engaging the evil. Can I repeat that to you? 
The peace of God is not something we possess by being indifferent to the evil. Rather, the peace of God is something that rules in us while engaging the evil. His peace rules in our hearts as we confront the evil, as we engage in the battle against the evil. When I speak of the peace of God here, I am speaking about the calm resolve to obey God, regardless of or in the midst of any situation or circumstance. And what produces that calm resolve is knowing him and his law and his word. And we must have that in these dark days when the tyrants are unleashed, that calm resolve to obey God. What gives us the grit to stand in the face of tyranny and suffering while God's judgment is poured out on the land is our theology. We need to know him, and we need to know his law and word. There was a lady in the news this past week who said a Christian woman suffers the consequences her actions. She was pregnant, learned she had cancer, was told to abort the child, or she had no hope of making it. She instead went forward. The child's been born alive. She's still alive. She's still in cancer, and she's in stage four now. She was at peace, she said. Why was she at peace? Because she knows God, and she knows what God has said regarding this matter. Namely, you shall not murder. Her life is in God's hands. She didn't need to nuance it or pull out her situational ethics chart to discover what she should do. She knew by his word, and she obeyed, and she has peace of God ruling in her heart. Amen? By the way, this situation proves yet again the idiocy of the world's slogan, the slogan of wicked men, my body, my choice. I don't know how many women went past me and said that to me this week at the campus ministry efforts. Notice there was no cancer in the baby's body. It's only run all through her body. The baby is not her body. Different DNA Unique fingerprints, the whole deal, run through the gamut. And we confront such evil slogans, my body, my choice, to butcher my own son or daughter, by bringing Christian thought to bear upon it, that God has honored and gifted women to carry the preborn children in their own bodies so that they can bring sons and daughters into the world to perpetuate mankind on earth, a great honor given to them of God, to form families, to participate with men in that sacred institution called family and build that sacred thing called a home. And they spit on it all, my body, my choice. Now listen to me. When you refuse to comply with the evil that is already here, And that's going to grow in the days ahead. When you refuse to comply with the evil, you maintain the peace of God in your heart because you know you are living faithful to him. Amen. 
When you refuse to comply with the evil, you maintain the peace of God in your heart because you know you are living faithful to him. So again, when evil is in the land and the tyrants are unleashed upon the nation, people will respond with compliance to evil and compromise with evil. Some will compromise for favor. Some will compromise for fear. Some will compromise thinking they can just ask God to forgive them later. Some will compromise through self-delusion, saying and doing one thing while thinking another thing. We saw this with the pandemic, many acting like and thinking they knew all along that it was wrong and evil and a charade, and yet they participated with the mask and the shot, never making clear that they were fooled. (laughs) And if you doubt the vast majority will compromise and comply with the evil, you are surely mistaken. The pandemic proved the nature of man in the face of evil. You must be faithful to Christ when the evil comes upon the land. When it comes to your door and demands your compromise, that's when you must be faithful. when it demands your pinch of incense. When there are actual concrete consequences for your lack of compliance, that's when your faithfulness matters. That's when it shines bright. That's when hearts are revealed. The peace of God is that resolute resolve to be true to Christ in the face of persecution and martyrdom. And the peace of God must rule in your hearts during this confrontation with evil, or you will falter. You must be resolute, resolved in what you believe and how you behave, and what you believe will determine how you behave, whether you are obedient or you falter. Understand America's whore churchmen have pillared a form of Christianity that spiritualizes indifference to evil, that heralds indifference to evil as a sign of spiritual maturity. And in their bogus form of Christianity, they have convinced Christians that a sign of their spiritual growth is that they should not be angry with evil being in the land, that their indifference to the evil is actually a mark of what proves they are pillars of the faith. And if you demonstrate anger towards the evil, that is the greatest sin. It's the greater sin, greater than the evil itself, the fact that you would confront. They have plenty of tolerance for the shedding of innocent blood of the preborn, plenty of tolerance for the filth of homosex. But they will get angry with you if you confront the evil. They will demonstrate anger towards you if you speak against the evil. If you take action against the evil, that is what they cannot tolerate. There was a girl who came up to me at Whitewater. She says, what is your mission statement? And I explained what our mission statement is. She says, I'm a Christian. And she had that whole pietistic thing going. And she said to me this, she said, do you think Jesus would be out here doing this? And I looked at her and I said, oh, absolutely not. He would definitely be like the priest and the Levite who passed by on the other side of the road and didn't help the person who was suffering. 
And she just kind of stood there like... And of course I was being sarcastic. Because I knew she just wanted to lamb blast me and tell me how true Christians would never be out here because this is unloving showing those photographs. Which she proceeded to do after my initial response. And of course the reminder from scripture is the man with his concubine who was abused by a pack of sodomites there in the book of Judges, and he cut up her body and sent the body parts out to the tribes of Judah. And how did the tribes of Judah respond when they didn't just see pictures of the murdered, but actually saw the actual body parts themselves delivered to them? 400,000 men at arms rallied and said, Who's responsible for this injustice and evil? That's how godly people respond to you. They don't walk up. Do you think Jesus would do something like, would be out here? This isn't showing love. Unbelievable. And the only reason she can talk like that, and they all talk like that, is because of the churchmen, those whores that fill pulpits across America. Again, they are indifferent to the evil itself. What they view as evil is what you do to confront the evil. Thomas Aquinas wrote this, and I'm not a fan of Aquinas, but most all men who are remembered in history for their writings have some good things to say, even if you disagree with much of what they purport. And what Aquinas says here is utterly true and correct. He said this, He who is not angry when there is just cause for anger, is immoral. Why, he says? Because anger looks to the good of justice. Because anger looks to the good of justice. And if you can live amid injustice without anger, you are immoral as well as unjust. Anger, brothers and sisters, is not a sin. How do we know this? Jesus himself demonstrated anger. Mark chapter 3, verse 5 says plainly of Jesus, and when he, Jesus, had looked around at them with anger, being grieved by the hardness of their hearts. In John chapter 2, verses 13 through 24, the scripture talks about Jesus clearing the temple of the money changers. He was angry that they had turned his father's house into a place of merchandise. He made a whip, turned over tables, and drove them out. Do you think he demonstrated no anger while he was doing that? That he just walked in and, excuse me, right? Would you all leave now? I'm getting worked up, right? No, he was, drove them out with the whip. He was throwing the tables over. They had made his fight. He was angry. Psalm 2 says, the kings of the earth are to serve the Lord with fear. And then in verse 12, it says of Jesus that the kings, quote, are to kiss the son speaking of Jesus, lest he be angry and you perish in the way when his wrath is kindled but a little. Anger is not a sin. 
Ephesians 4.26 says, be angry and sin not. That right there. It's be angry and sin. Anger in itself is not sin. It should anger you when you see the governments of men impugning the law and word of God, when you see the consequences of their evil in the lives of individual men. That should anger you. And in closing, let me simply tell you this. You must make peace with God to have the peace of God rule in your heart. If you do not know him, you need to turn from your sin and believe in his son. He will forgive you of your sin. His Holy Spirit will be right inside you. You will become a new creature. Your life will radically be transformed. You'll want to read the Bible. You'll want to tell others about his law, word, and gospel. It is a massive, radical transformation. All because you went from being the enemy of God to having peace with him. Romans 5, verse 1 says, Therefore, having been justified by faith, justified by faith in Christ, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ through whom also we have access by faith into this grace in which we stand and rejoice in hope of the glory of God. It is massively important that if you're in this situation right now that America's in, and you don't know the Lord, that you come to know him. His forgiveness is available to you through his son. Your life will be completely changed. It's not a religious deal It's a relationship. You will actually experience his presence. You will actually commune with him. My heart is broken, brothers and sisters. Let's stand up. We'll close in a word of prayer. Hallelujah, God. Praise to you, O Lord. Praise to you, O Lord. All praise and honor unto you. Lord, you see our grief over the utter rebellion of the people in this nation. And Lord, in the midst of that grief, may we, O Lord, Stand faithful and true to you as your ambassadors, making your holy law and word known to men, making your great salvation known to men. Lord, I ask and pray that we don't keep these things to ourselves, but that we speak of them, that we put them on a candlestick, that we proclaim them from the rooftops. Lord, we ask and pray that as we speak, your Holy Spirit would be working in the hearts of men, convicting them of sin, righteousness, and judgment, that they would see their need for you and that they would live faithful to you. Lord, we look to you for these things. We give praise to you, Father. Help each home here to draw close to you, the husband and the wife the sons and the daughters, all, Lord, draw close to you, live faithful and true to you in the midst of the evil. 
that is stretched out across our land in the darkness which grows. Lord, we thank you that we are alive at this time, and we ask and pray that you use us to the glory of your name in the days ahead. May we do right by you, and I ask these things in Jesus' name. Amen. May Christ be praised.